Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, September 4th, and this is your FT News Briefing. A tech sell-off on Thursday led U.S. markets to their biggest drop since June. Apple is making a formal commitment to freedom of speech, and we'll take a look at why the U.S. military's next weapons might be in space. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The S&P 500 dropped 3.5% yesterday. The tech-heavy Nasdaq composite was down 5%. So what happened to the tech stocks that carried U.S. equities to record highs this summer? The FT's Richard Henderson explains. So we're basically seeing the wind come out of the powerful rally in tech stocks. And it doesn't mean uh, necessarily that we're going to see a big drop in the likes of Apple or even Tesla. I think it's more of a taking a pause in this rally, allowing the market rally to broaden a little bit and for investors to really rethink the valuation of some of these companies. Uh, Apple is down 8%. It's wiped $150 billion from the value of the company. It's a massive amount. It's roughly equivalent to the market value of, of McDonald's to give you a sense of the size. But I think this is the market rethinking this big rally and just taking stock of it. And I think the powerful intervention of the Fed and all the characteristics of the market that have propelled tech stocks so strongly will come back into play. So I don't think we're going to see a a massive drop in tech. It's still very powerful as a sector. So Rich, what signs are investors looking for now? One that we have noticed in the last few days and weeks is a discord between expected volatility in the market for very tech-heavy indices and the NASDAQ 100, which includes Tesla and Apple and Microsoft and Facebook. The market believes that it will see more volatility in the near term than the broader stock market, as we refer to in the S&P 500, which contains some of those big tech stocks, but also a much broader set of oil and gas stocks, of consumer discretionary stocks. So it's basically the broader market. And so we've seen this broadening gap in anticipated volatility for tech stocks compared to the broader market. And that is essentially traders starting to say, well, hold on, there's been such a momentous rise in tech stocks. Surely the top has to come off a little bit and allow the broader market to catch up if this rally is to be sustained. Richard Henderson is our U.S. Capital Markets correspondent. Thanks, Rich. Thank you very much. Apple has, for the first time, published a human rights policy that commits to respecting, quote, freedom of information and expression. It's a big deal for a company that's been criticized for bowing to censorship pressure from China. Patrick McGee says that the company caved into activist investors on this issue, but wonders how effective Apple's policy will actually be. The company has been uh, around since 1976, and obviously it's been a major player, at least since the iPhone was launched in 2007. It's been dogged for years for criticism about how the iPhone is assembled, you know, claims of, of slave labor, uh, more recent claims of, of having Uyghurs working in their supply chain in China. And then, of course, Apple has long sort of 
bowed to authoritarian governments where it operates, name, namely China, in terms of allowing censorship. So it's admitted that it, it booted out hundreds of virtual private network apps. So this is the first time that Apple has actually laid out exactly what its policy is. Now, there's a certain respect in which it's not that big of a deal to basically call for human rights in terms of freedom of expression, freedom of information. I mean, these, you know, in a sense, are long-term Apple policies, or values at least. And the question is, how does that actually jive with the fact that if Beijing requests this app needs to be banned, Apple still acquiesces? I mean, there's no change in that front, and that's the most basic thing. So the hope among activists is that by making this sort of a board-level decision, and it's stated somewhere that shareholders who are complaining about these practices have something to point to, to say, you know, here's your stated value in your human rights policy. In this situation, you're not living up to it. How, how can you change? How can, how can we find some progress or how can we find some solution here? It sounds like something out of a movie, but U.S. military officials are preparing for a new generation of space weapons. Here to talk with me about this is our U.S. foreign policy and defense correspondent, Katrina Manson. Katrina, what is going on here? Do we have to brace ourselves for some kind of Death Star now? Yeah, I had to Google Death Star before we spoke. Um, I see from Star Wars it is a fictional mobile space station and galactic super weapon. Um, we're not quite there yet, but the, all the analysts tell me that the stuff of sci-fi is no longer sci-fi. Uh, it's actual. The U.S. thinks that China has been secretly testing space-based weapons or certainly getting close to it. And they're beginning to think that they might need the same. And there's a little bit of this constant tit-for-tat upping of the ante because if China and Russia get something like this, the U.S. thinks they should get something like this. And U.S. officials tell me that they think China and Russia have both been deliberately developing weapons that might be able to take out U.S. satellites in space, um, either in the event of conflict or just to make sure that the U.S. knows it's vulnerable. This sounds extremely familiar and not just from the world of George Lucas, but you know, Ronald Reagan had his strategic defense initiative back in the 1980s, which was also called Star Wars, where the U.S. would in theory intercept Soviet missiles. And, you know, obviously the U.S. has Space Force now, a division of the U.S. Armed Forces. So how serious is all this? Yeah, there's Space Force, there's U.S. Space Command, which has just been rehabilitated after 17 years of hiatus. Um, the Trump administration really likes space. But it's not just them. I'm told that if a Biden administration came in, they wouldn't unwind this stuff, partly because it's always hard to unwind stuff. But there's a lot going on in space. China put 70 spacecraft up into space last year. And the US now sees space as, and this is literally the phrase they use, a warfighting domain. So everything is about getting ready for conflict in space and making it really clear to potential adversaries that the US is going to look at space as a conflict zone and prepare for it and make sure that it can win. So if 2020 wasn't tense enough here on Earth, we now have space to consider. Katrina Manson is our U.S. foreign policy and defense correspondent. Thanks, Katrina. Yeah, thanks for having me. And before we go, a quick update on a story we told you about last week. 
Federal prosecutors in Manhattan charged Marble Ridge founder Daniel Kaminsky with fraud, extortion, and obstruction of justice on Thursday. He allegedly tried to undercut a rival hedge fund's bid for bankrupt retailer Neiman Marcus's most valuable assets. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission also hit Mr. Kamensky with a separate civil lawsuit. Mr. Kamensky declined to comment. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. We'll be taking Monday off for Labor Day in the U.S. We'll be back on Tuesday, September 8th, with a special show about the six months since coronavirus hit the West. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me. Mark Filipino. Our editor is Dan Bobkoff. We had help from Gavin Kalman, Michael Bruning, and Amy Keene. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.